0: Lord Lucan Vanishes by Torrin Lucas For those who are lucky, a casino can turn white light into colours, darkness into light. But for others, casinos are shuttered places peopled by groping shadows, marooned by their unrequited desires. The Claremont Club in the west end of London had changed Lord Lucan into a darkened version of his former self. Oh, to be lucky. Lucky if only once again. Chapter 1. Lucan, Lord Lucan. Richard John Bingham, 7th Earl of Lucan, soon to be known as Lord Lucan the Fugitive, was simply good old lucky to his clique of gambling aficionados at the Claremont Club. The club was his headquarters now, Lucan had outgrown the candied champagne, the small talk, coy flirtations and plausible lies. By then, the Claremont Club had become a more serious place. He had distilled his taste and refined his aims towards his single driving objective, to win. He was, of course, nearing his end. It was obvious to those who'd seen the end of many lives once lived. He could accept that, knew it in his bones. To be set alight in paranoid musings or wrenched desperation that drove him from sleep. The exaggerated drinking, talking too fast, or his long silences. This wasn't madness, it was business. And anyway, very little mattered to Lord Lucan in 1974, except to win. A crystal glass of clear liquid was pushed across the darkened marble bar top, leaving a moist streak. Thank you, he murmured. With his white tuxedo and red lapel rose, Lucan cut a contrasting figure against the shadows of the casino playing tables, crowded with men lifting only half-glances in his direction as he coursed his way through the chamber. Along with the champagne and other superfluous distractions, he had abandoned his once playful game of chemin de fer and settled instead into a leather seat at the poker table. He acknowledged to himself the sensations of cooling perspiration across his brow, These beads of sweat, shining like diamonds, revealed to all discerning enough that he was a gambler ready to risk everything. He had come to accept that those who knew him knew how he could keep broken charts together. His real targets were unknown to him. Fortunately for Lucan, it appeared that none of the three other gamblers at this table recognized him. By reputation, Lucan had earned the nickname Lucky. Although, given the downward spiral of the last years, this has become more of a sarcastic moniker. So he was pleased to be among strangers. The dealer at Lucan's table was Elizabeth Murphy, the kind of languid beauty that Aspinall most desired for the club. The Claremont was still considered John Aspinall's club. He'd opened the casino in 1968, transforming himself through careful practice into a sort of high priest of Mayfair society, part businessman, Part Circus and Preserio, he cultured a sort of sinister charm. Elizabeth had come to the club on that spring morning looking for a job. The Claremont had recently changed ownership, becoming the new plaything for the Playboy magazine. The magazine was in the process of diversifying into the casino business, and Aspinall had the contacts and the charm to persuade and beguile. He would continue to take stock of prospects, measure up talent, and be the playboy's eyes and ears. He had found Elizabeth disarmed by the morning's rain in the front lobby in need of warmth. Her eyes stung from the stream of hairspray that retreated from her hair that would once been carefully brushed into the style of a beehive. He was drawn to her like a cat. He had been compelled as if commanded by a coursing instinct. Well, he said, what do we have here? She had impressed him immediately, which was unusual as beauty was commonplace to Aspinall. And so he offered her with grand affectations to be pictured naked in the pages of Playboy. It's completely tasteful, he had said, after she had laughed off the offer, but assured her that he understood her tender sensibilities, though he didn't share them. I want to be a croupier, she said simply. Aspinall agreed to this on the spot, that she had no experience or obvious inclination for casino work was beside the point. She had the look, the dark hair, the breasts, and a challenge. Elizabeth had learned her craft quickly. Each card spun with a whirling sound in her quick, expert hands, conjuring them together into a crisp block on the table. Then, with solemn nonchalance, she cast the cards to each player. The first card landed in front of Barry Halpin. She had noted Barry's features as if seeing him for the first time thick dark hair that combed across to the right, moon face, square jaw, Roman nose. The next card fluttered in front of Lucan, calling him to attention. She could see in that moment, as he raised his head to accept his card, eyes that appeared to melt over swelling cheekbones, suggesting either joy or sorrow. And just like Barry, she could never tell. Across the other side of the table, she settled cards in front of the larger of the two Indian gentlemen. Each appeared distinguished, distant, and inscrutable. Round the table again to deal the cards, Barrow narrowed his eyes furtively from under long locks of hair over to Lucan. It was more sorrow in his eyes, she thought, the same sorrow as in Lucan's. Barry lied to her often. He was good at it. This impressed her and made him valuable. It was a talent she could appreciate. Concealment left him unknowable, even to himself. His lips curled in and out of his long beard as if gulping air like a fish. He's too nervous, she thought, but assured herself in the knowledge that Barry could deceive expertly. He's oblivious, she assured herself as she dealt Lucan's final over card. She could see the same signs of slack-jawed inebriation that had accompanied many of Lucan's more spectacular losses in the past. Another card alighted in front of the bearded, heavy-set Indian, his eyes set and impassive. His ballooned hand extended to draw the card close. His companion, sipped delicately from a glass of champagne, smiled absently and watched. Your cards, gentlemen, Elizabeth announced. Narrowed eyes shifted among each of the players. From under long locks of hair, Barry's eyes darted across at Lucan. The Indians flashed to Barry, and Lucan's moistened eyes came to gaze into hers. She quickly returned her attention to the table. She was the croupier, above attachment, cool and collected. In that moment, Elizabeth and all of her players possessed that swelling sense of possibility. But she, Barry, Lucan and the two East Indians were far from in control, as each carelessly took their own inexorable orbit around the same darkening star. It was the rings that the Indians wore that revealed the deception. Even if Lucan hadn't seen the rings previously for sale at Hatton Garden, it would have been obvious. It was in the aftermath of one of his increasingly rare gambling wins with the feeling that one has after sex that Veronica had happened upon the ruby rings and had suggested them for him, as a joke he had assumed. They were so garish they seemed fake, something for a child's dressing-up box. One spotted on the fingers of the Indians. The fake rings along with the crumpled and poorly fitted suits left him no doubt. Secret agents, both of them he decided. Lucan fancied he had an eye for that sort of thing, and would study the life and times of the secret agent in the evening papers. Cold war news of intrigue. Lucan imagined that he and James Bond might possess a similar sensibility, and recalled then how he had once auditioned for the role in replacement of Sean Connery that one year. Why only the night before he had read something about India extending its leftist credentials, currying favor with the Soviets, he thought. These two were probably Indian IB agents on the tail of a wayward operative to be fetched back into the cold. Lukin gazed lazily over at Barry to take measure of this very unlikely Indian double agent. He coursed a finger along the edge of his crystal glass and recognized that vodka had taken its positive effect. I'm switched on, He decided. Nobody could do it better. The cards in his hand, three kings and a queen, they prove it. Elizabeth could tell Barry was losing. She could see through the bars of her black lashes the slight roll to his shoulders. The Indian pair on the other hand, flanked by stacked poker chips at the air of optimism, carefree. But it was Lucan who was lucky this time. She sensed his swelling confidence in his flushed face, the moistened gaze which he fixed on her. I fold, Barry announced, laying his cards on the table. Yes, indeed, I fold also, echoed the Indian, his companion exhaling a stream of smoke that conveyed the feeling of relaxed resignation that comes from the transient nature of Indian fortune and loss. Lucan grinned towards Elizabeth with a cocked eyebrow that was meant to illustrate how clever he was and that he alone was the important one for her to know intimately. Elizabeth turned her cards, the house cards, to reveal a four of a kind. Lucan revealed his three kings. That one goes to the house, she announced. Lucan's smile quickly vanished. Inexplicably, he had lost. Elizabeth pulled the chips hoard her with the table rake. As carefully rehearsed, she directed a portion of the chips to the usual table receptacle. The other half of the chips were dragged smoothly over to the edge to disappear without a sound somewhere below. The sleight of hand was so refined to be almost imperceptible. Lucan had watched Elizabeth separate the chips in amazement. He glanced quickly over to Barry and the Indians who remained oblivious to the pilfering unfolding before them. Another round, gentlemen, shall we, she announced, glancing to Lucan only for a moment to reveal a hesitation in her manner, and uncertainty. Lucan studied this newly discovered mystery before him. Her dark hair with straight bangs squared a refined face, red lips, and eyes that flashed blue from flickering lashes. Her beauty was obvious, her cunning a surprise. Lucan wanted her then, wanted her to see that he was onto her, that nothing passed his notice. But her distance frustrated his ruminations. She could fear him now. And she should. He possessed her. Possessed her secret. He would make her know that. Deal me in, he announced. Elizabeth began to collect the opening set of chips for the ante. When she arrived to collect from Barry, he leaned forward over the table and announced, I've not got the five thousands, Gov. He paused to take the measure of his table opponents. He smiled. His eyes creased into small, beady slips of amusement. But I have this. And from his pocket he retrieved a small, folded document of white parchment. He pressed it against the table to reveal a two-foot square illustration. Lucan sensed the document to be very old. It was a darkened tan in color and revealed itself like a sort of ancient liquid, as if centuries had removed its capacity to crease. Luka knew enough to detect the writing as a form of Indian Sanskrit, and the illustrations were clearly animals of the jungle. This, Barry, announced, is the Panchantantra map. This is the map to the whole bloody lot. He paused for effect. But let's raise the ante, shall we, to say 50,000 quid. Barry then quickly reconstituted the map, snatching the imagery from Lucan's gaze to leave a simple brown, flattened paper square at the center of the table. Win, and you take the map. The house gets the proceeds for the trouble. I win, and I take the jackpot. A hundred thousand between the two of you. The house wins, and I'm on the hook for 50,000, but I'm good for it. With this map, it'll be easy. Anyone with that there map Barry wiped his beard from his mouth and reclined back in his chair. Well, anyone with that map would have the arrow right to it, to the Panchantantra itself. Lucan raised his eyebrow and turned to the Indian pair. The ancient Panchantantra is the book of Indian fables, Lucky laughed. the Indian sipping the champagne. Lucan raised his other eyebrow. It's Lucan, he corrected them, accepting his loss of anonymity. Lord Lucan. And why should I care for this pension tantra anyway? Yes, inquired the fat, card-playing Indian, gesturing toward Barry. Tell us, he asked. Most men would give the royal jewels for a load of that, replied Barry. It's the map that leads to the fifth-century library that lies beneath the sacred ghats of Varanasi. And I mean deep below the river itself. It's the book of fables that Alexander the Great himself wanted so badly, your lordship. It's worth more than a king's ransom. I'm just unable to leave the country on account of my, let's say, other dealings. Or I'd be off to India in a heartbeat, with this here map as my guide to collect the pension tantrum myself. Deal us in, of course, cried the champagne Indian. How delightfully auspicious. And you'll cover the ante then, responded Barry. Yes, we'll cover it, replied the Indian. Lukin was readying to leave. Fifty thousand had once been an amount he'd scoff at, but it was too high now, he decided, shaking his head. But he found himself riveted to his seat, stilled by the sight of the brown stack of parchment. Later, he decided it was Elizabeth who had commanded him to sit and to play. He would remember her eyes, disinterested in one moment, hawkishly intense in the other. He felt compelled by her, compelled to unravel her disharmony. Well, this is a trifle, he said. Deal me in. Lucan was just about to order another vodka neat, but was quieted by the crisp shuffle and the expert deal of the cards that alighted before him. This was the play. This was it. To win. It was the feeling of possibility again that connected him to that inexorable darkness that so completely possessed him. As she dealt the cards, Elizabeth was feeling that sensation of falling again. That feeling that held her aloft as though in space, always falling, never to land. She knew this was the game. This was it. She and Barry had it planned. The fluttering window ledge feeling was part of it. As the players to my left is requested, all players are in. And the map shall represent the table's private wager. she announced. Opening table is fixed and the limit has been reached. Good luck, gentlemen. Lucan raised his cards up as though in prayer to reveal a jack and a queen of diamonds. And after some pondering among the players, he called for the next card. According to the imperceptible mark on Lucan's card, Elizabeth could tell his cards were high. And call again, he said. Once again, she could detect his poorly concealed delight. "Okay, I call it, cried Barry impatiently. Lucan put his cards on the table, and with a perfect smugness. What luck, he said it looks like I've won. Lucan smiled. She seemed to approve of him now. Her dark eyes flashed from below the cut of her hair as though he imagined his winning had finally won him an invitation. This is an outrage, the champagne Indian slapped the table with his white leather glove. Lucan casually slipped the map into his lapel and his winning chips he let tumble into his jacket pocket. As he rose from his chair, he noted Elizabeth quickly rake the table chips that clattered somewhere below the table. As he turned from the table, he detected two dark figures emerging from the crowded surroundings moving towards him fast. These would be the heavies. Lucan knew that the big money would bring hired muscle to collect what they thought was owed. He raised his arm instinctively to shield the content of his appell and turned to the exit doors, which at that moment flew open to reveal the one and only John Aspinall. The impresario and former club owner came striding into the casino as though he still owned the surroundings, or at least everyone's attention. His thin blonde hair slicked back over a high forehead, Aspinall's chin seemed to guide his direction of travel, and that of the feline-looking woman who clasped his arm. The croupiers were assumed to have been trained to stop play whenever he entered, and the overhead lights adjusted to brighten slightly, but this wasn't true. The two heavies stopped their progress toward Lucan, captured for a moment in the glare of camera flash. Lucan slipped from the table towards the exit. No photographs, please, laughed Aspinall. I've only just let her out of her cage. Tilting his hand by way of an introduction, his companion felined along his uncoiling arms as if on a leash, her diamond-studded collar adding to the illusion that Aspinall had done it again. By this time, he had already earned a reputation as a collector of wild animals. Lucan was careful to keep his distance from the toothy woman flashing at the end of Aspinall's arm and c- progressed towards the exit. Once through the swinging doors, as he turned to take measure of the scene through the small square window of the Fourier door, as he felt his pulse ease, he savoured a feeling of disaster averted, the thing he liked best about casino life. The Indian muscle were now conferring with Aspinall, who seemed to take an interest in their commiserations. The croupier had left the table. He could see her walk towards his observation door. The curious-spirited player accompanied her and carried a briefcase. Lucan felt an admiration for her. Sheer audacity was something he tried to cultivate. As the pair walked together, he considered that the bearded player was in on it, too. The map was a hoax designed to rub the table. He wasn't a fool. He was on to her. He would make sure she knew it, knew that he, Lord Lucan, was onto to everything. He steeled himself as they approached and mustered an appearance of happenstance. Opening the lobby door, Elizabeth could smell vodka and expensive cologne. Lucan stood awkwardly inside the threshold. Ah, there you are, he breathed, swaying slightly. Going somewhere, are we? Which he thought really meant he was clever enough to possess her if he wanted. "'Lord Lucan,' she smiled, and casually passed the briefcase to Barry, who breathed past. "'You're surprised,' she said, allowing him to remain close to her. "'Or are you pretending you weren't aware of how this place really works?' She could sense him tense, as though she had put a finger on a bruise. She could sense how he now regretted how close he was to her, as if in a web. She felt her back touch the cold surface of the marble wall. "'Surely you're used to being taken in by now, John?' Don't you have your own scam after all this time? Now and glanced at his lips for a moment. She could see his fear, sense his longing. Elizabeth had that ability to identify a man truly lost to himself. It was something her father had taught her up on scaffolds, gym bottle in a boiler suit. She knew what it was to see a man daring fear to make him feel something, something that his wife and daughter could no longer do. She would hold his rough hand once Drink had put him to sleep. She accepted that for these men life was a step away from a fall. She sensed the same in Lucan. i am never taken in, he said. I've been around far too long for that, she smiled. Despite her cultivated cynicism, he surprised her. Then you've heard of the big edge? Her dark eyes narrowed, letting the wound sink in. It's the scam that Aspinall's been pulling, even before he opened this place. She could see him turn this thought painfully inward as if to swallow it up in the ocean of justifications and skewed logic that protected him from the pain. She smiled. She had him on a hook, but she regretted it now, seeing him crumple underneath his proud tuxedo, his careful appearance it costumes his brokenness. It's a con job, Lucky. The cards are marked. Lukin inhaled deeply, and suddenly, looking down along his nose as if he were inspecting dog shit on his heel, he replied, I knew that. With both hands she clasped his crisp white lapels. This is our chance. With lips as close as she dared to bring them, this is our chance to level the field, she whispered. But you're finished now, he said, as though turning a page that illustrated some doomed future. He shrugged a shoulder and said flatly, They'll be on to you now. Yes, she sighed and slunk back against the wall so that the two of them stood side by side. You might be right. She took out a cigarette. Lucky instinctively lit it. He exhaled. Do you know anything about being a nanny? Meanwhile, in the lobby, Barry Halpin had emerged from the lavatory with the fake beard removed and approached the cashier's desk with his winnings. In his white tuxedo, red rose, and slicked hair, he looked every bit the suave gambling magnet he was not. Placing the briefcase on the counter, he clicked it open to reveal his chips. Good evening, Lord Lucan, purred the cashier. I see you've been lucky again.